Welcome to Book Tour. Two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Uh, this episode, I promise, is going to be like the last for a while of us just kind of indulging and in going back and reading books uh, from our from our past. Um, but it is one of those. Um, recently, we've we, we've done a little bit of, of going back in history with Contortionist Handbook and uh, the Club Dumas. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about Winky by Clifford Chase. So really quick, I'm going to give you his bio. This is taken from Wikipedia um, because Amazon didn't have one. So uh, this is... This is the Wikipedia bio. An American novelist who has written The Tooth Fairy, a memoir. Winky, a novel about a sentient teddy bear accused of terrorism. The Hurry Up Song, a memoir of losing my brother, uh, living out. And he was the editor of Queer 13, Lesbian Gay Writers Recall, 7th Grade. A shortlisted nominee in the children's slash young adult and nonfiction anthologies category at the 1999 Lambda Literary Awards. That was, that was kind of tough to say. Yes. Yes, I would imagine it was. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I guess we'll just, just go into the book synopsis. It's so weird because, so Rob mentioned that we read this previously, and we have, oh, I don't know, 15 years ago, I would guess, right around there. Mm. Probably a little bit apart on time between the two of us reading it, but um, revisiting it was a, uh, was a slightly different ex- experience than I remember. And we'll talk about that more because Rob had kind of the same, the same feeling, I think. So here is the uh, synopsis in Cliff Chase's scathingly funny debut novel, a mild mannered teddy bear named Winky comes to life only to find himself on the wrong side of America's war on terror. After suffering decades of neglect from the children who once loved him, Winky decides to take charge of his fate by hurling himself off the shelf, jumping out the window and heading to the forest. But just as he discovers the joys of mobility, self-determination and even true love, this small brown creature of indeterminate gender gets trapped in the jaws of a society gone rabid with fear and paranoia. Having come upon the cabin of the mad professor who stole his beloved, Winky is suddenly surrounded by the FBI, who instantly conclude that he is the evil mastermind behind dozens of terrorist attacks. Terrified and confused, Winky is brought to trial, where the prosecution attempts to steal the little bear's fate by calling upon witnesses from the trials of Galileo, Socrates, John Scopes, and Oscar Wilde. So we're going to stick with the synopsis for a second because, like, um, I found out about this book through Livius, so I got his pitch on it, and I already had, like, uh, his trusted kind of reputation for telling me about books that were actually good. Um this is a weird sell for someone who's just reading this synopsis and deciding where they want to read the book or not. I'd say like, it sounds really strange. There's a teddy bear that comes to life, but for some reason he's taken seriously as a terrorist. And yeah. So it sounds like a really like an odd pitch. Would you agree? Oh, Oh, look for sure. I, I mean, I would expect this to come out from one of the bizarro presses. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's that, that strange of a book. And again, we'll talk more about this, but you, you, you read this and you think, oh, well, scathingly funny. Okay. And it's about a teddy bear and it's probably really cute and really whatever. And I guess that's what we'll discuss during this review is, you know, how, how well does it hold up to, to that expectation, which was the expectation I had when I picked it up many years ago. Um, I didn't have quite the same expectation kind of knowing the book already, but, um, I mean, sentient teddy bear, 
either it's horror, right? Like it's crazy horror. Like you take this cute thing and you make it ridiculous and make it kill people. Or or it's just going to be like cute. And Winky manages to not really be either one. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> that's something that uh, for reasons that may come up later, Livius and I had to meet up in person and we were just kind of talking about doing the review tonight. And um, yeah, I, I was talking about how I didn't remember the book being the way it was, um, which we're going to tell you about now. So one thing I'll acknowledge about the book is that it's got kind of a fractured timeline in as much as some of the book takes place over the course of Winky being the teddy bear for um, a woman named Ruth, a girl named Ruth, and then later on in life, um, a series of Ruth's children. So there's stuff that takes place back then. Stuff that takes place in the present day, which uh, for when the book was written, I think the book came out in 2006 or 7. Um, so hot on the heels of um, 9-11 and the Patriot Act and all that stuff is kind of when the present day stuff takes place. Um, and there's like kind of two layers of that. So it jumps around a bit. And that's obvious like right at the beginning because the very first thing you get, which is kind of a prologue, is um, Cliff Chase the character who has the same name as Clifford Chase, the author um, doing a quick, like doing uh, testifying in front of testifying in court over um, basically being a character witness for Winky, the puppet pet puppet uh, teddy bear who's accused of all these terrorist crimes. Um, So he gives his testimony and then it cuts to Winky Winky's capture by the FBI it cuts to Winky in the forest in a cabin sad about some stuff but then all of a sudden the FBI are there and he's taken into custody very roughly and it's that like from the very beginning I feel like you get the idea that the police and authorities aren't going to be played in the best light because it is just the typical um, like cowboy police officer type of thing where you know um they're very very aggressive and obviously they think this they assume this person's guilty and they you know they're they're gun ha- they're trigger happy and stuff like that so from the very beginning his his capture is is very aggressive and it paints law enforcement in a very specific way yeah and i'm going to bring i'm, I'm going to make an observation now so that it can color the rest of our review <clears throat> every character that is not part of winky's family and when i say that the the family that were his original owners um is portrayed in a caricature style so like <clears throat> the only realistic characters in this book are winky the fucking teddy bear believe it or not um <laughs> And then and then his family. So Cliff, um, who is the author and a character in this book and and mostly Cliff and and his mother, Ruth, who is the original owner of Winky, although we may or may not get into into that her ownership or or whatever. But, yeah, everything else, the the humor in this book kind of comes from the fact that um, all the characters that are related to the government in any way, shape or form. So, you know, we talked about the fact there's a trial. So the attorneys for the trial, the judge, the bailiffs, uh, the police, the FBI are, are all caricatures completely overblown from what you would expect, but done so in a way that, you know, although sometimes maybe it stretches outside of, of reality, um, 
you know, the exaggerations is that sometimes you can look around you and see similar stuff. Like you could see where this came from, I guess. Yeah. And, um, it definitely is the levity I'd say like Livius, uh, like Livius mentioned of the story is just like the, the cartoonish nature of, so like, it's almost like, like Livius was saying the, the less real people are the people who are actually potentially real. But anyway, um, and and the the caricature type nature of 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 non winky circle people even um stretches to the hospital so it one he's captured um there's a bunch of cops that have guns aimed at him he's got his hands his paws in the air and um something happens they they draw they open fire so he gets shot so instead of going to jail he ends up in a hospital where um the hospital staff is just as clownish. Like he's got holes in his fur and they're trying to use human methods of um, healing to, to fix him. And it's obviously not working because he's a fucking teddy bear. Um, but they'll also do stuff like, like it, this was really funny at the beginning of the book where like uh, at a certain interval, you know, they would come in and they'd, they'd look for a pulse and not find one. And like, they'd like, they're just being this big production. Cause like he didn't have a pulse. So they'd come in and they try to revive him. And like, that's funny enough that they were like clownish and stupid enough to think that. But then like Winky knew what was going on. And eventually he'd make like a beep noise as if like he suddenly got a pulse, like the, the EKG machine or whatever, like pulled a pulse just to like satisfy them that they like, they did a good job and they saved his life. So, uh, some fun levity at the beginning, but even the hospital staff for the most part, except for one specific character, um, just as clownish and out of touch with what's supposed to be happening in the story as, as the law enforcement are. Yep. And right around then is when we start doing these, uh, these kind of flashbacks. So we flash back to the 1920s, um, when Winky was born in a factory, um, like many other, like most other teddy bears, you know, put together, put in a box and he is gifted to Ruth. Um, who we've mentioned is is Cliff Chase's mom. And we start to see Winky's life through the eyes of an inanimate teddy bear. So he has emotion, he has feelings, but he has no control over any of it. And so we we see kind of what he sees. And through that lens, we get to see um, Ruth's family. So Ruth and, and her parents and, and obviously later in the story, you know, Ruth and her children. But one of the things that was really interesting that, that I thought about is that, you know, any third person book we read, right? Like we, we see what's going on, but I found it interesting how the dynamic changes when you're seeing what's going on through third person, through somebody else's eyes. So I feel like there was more there to be had seeing Ruth's interaction with her parents or Ruth's interaction with her sister through Winky's eyes than if if Winky wasn't there. Does that make sense what I'm saying? It's like it yes. becomes a more yep. critical look because we're looking through somebody else's eyes at it, even though we're always looking through somebody else's eyes. But there's like another layer involved there. Um, and this one is inanimate, although he definitely has feelings and emotions and things he likes and doesn't like. So it, it provides, a, you know, a little bit of heartwarming stuff, a little bit of heartbreak, um, a little bit of just observation of familial interactions. Um, but 
through the rest of the book, we kind of bounce back and forth. We'll go back to visit Winky in jail. We'll go back to visit Ruth. We'll go back to visit Winky. We'll go back to visit, um, you know, when he's handed off to, to the other children, starting with Cliff's older siblings. But eventually we spend a little bit more time with him with Cliff. Yeah. Um, I'm going to talk about the structure of the book really quick. Uh, there are four parts, and I would say... Part one is about the first half of the book, and um, then it goes into smaller parts for the rest of it. I think it's four, four or three. Uh, anyway, so um, so the first half of the book really um, is what we just talked about. It's either the present day with what's going on with Winky being a suspected terrorist, or it is looking back in time to Winky being the inanimate um, toy possession of Ruth or um, uh, other people uh, and, and in general um, the Ruth part was uh, I would say less um, emotionally tumultuous but the thing that I thought was interesting was as we were seeing what was going on in Ruth's life from Winky's perspective it wasn't all like um, happy positive thoughts and like you would think that on the uh, the average person, if you were talking about, oh, what's the perspective of a teddy bear? You would think, oh, the teddy bear is just infinite love and it just, you know, is happy about anything that's happening in his owner's life. That is not the case with this teddy bear. Um, there is a lot of that that love. The, the, the teddy bear does care about its owner and um, want to be loved by the owner, but then will critique criticize the owner's actions like in its head or it'll get mad at the owner for doing something or not doing something um or feel betrayed or feel like it's not fair that they this thing happened or that thing happened so there's a lot more nuance to the emotion that we're seeing from winky's perspective than i would have expected and it's definitely more than i remember upon like originally reading the book um so with ruth it was more like um, like it was building up. I feel like it was almost as if like establishing this teddy bear is a new young teddy bear who's learning how to feel things. And then when we get to the point in Winky's life where Cliff is the owner, like we jump forward in time, Winky has gone through several people being like the owner of him as a bear. And um, like the emotional toll is kind of collecting over time. Yeah, and it's um, it's interesting because we don't clearly we don't think about inanimate objects as aging, you know, in the way that we think of, of people. But you know, there's there's a significant gap, you know, between a parent handing off a teddy bear. So right, so Ruth Winky is a part of her life, and maybe she sleeps with it, and you know, carries it around, and hugs it, and squeezes it, and plays with it, right? But like at a certain point, you know, she'll become a teenager, and then there's a period of time before she has children to hand it off to. So, you know, Winky has a lot of time to sit and observe and just brood um, over things that uh, he may miss or, uh, you know, are missing from his life or, or whatever, you know, the case may be. So it's kind of interesting to, to see that as character development for a, for a teddy bear, of all things. Yep. So part two is where the fun stuff happens. So obviously <laughs> we, we, we visit Winky, um, you know, and we know that, that 
obviously he can think and 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 even talk and and you know and understand what's going on through through you know after his capture and and subsequently him being in the hospital and in prison but part 2 is where we go back to um the genesis of his newfound ability to 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 be sentient and this um you know for me honestly this part kind of dragged a little bit um, and, and I don't know if there was a better way to, to do this. I, I think maybe just by the nature of the story, but, um, we get a, a great chapter where he figures out that, that he can move and that he can leave the house and he does so. And, and there's like a fun little chapter of him finding his way in the world, but then he goes into the woods and that's really where the story, as Robin mentioned, there's like a darkness that builds up, um, within the winky character, but this, this flat out goes pretty dark when you get into the second part yeah so the the adventure out of the house for the first time getting into the woods and and like acting very like actual bear like for a teddy bear was was goofy and interesting because it was like watching something who doesn't understand the world be out in the world that's always entertaining um but then some kind of weird supernatural stuff happens because Winky eats some berries and basically thinks he's having a like a real epic poop, which turns out to be like a baby teddy bear. So, I find it interesting that this is the first time you mentioned something supernatural happens. I mean, <laughs> that's a good point. I never thought about it that way because it's totally natural to have a a uh, an, a fully aware teddy bear. Um. So yeah, Winky gave birth, and and I'm gonna pause really quick because even in um, the synopsis it mentioned that like it's a indeterminate gender. Um, so and and this is typical, I think, of um, especially like a, a teddy bear that's handed down. I'm sure the gender would change based on who owned it and what they wanted it to be. And so when Winky started out as Ruth's pet teddy bear, Winky was a girl with a girl name, um, and then eventually became Winky when um cliff her youngest kid was his owner um so like the gender thing just doesn't matter because also it's a teddy bear um but that is something that comes up just kind of off the cuff but the the important thing is winky has a baby loves the baby and then spends a good amount of time raising baby winky in the wild and so they have a family. The two of them are a family and they talk to each other and they have little fun things that they do and everything. And everything seems perfect. Um, and Winky seems to have known enough about like the nature of humans to teach baby Winky how to be careful and avoid people and stuff like that just to stay safe. Um, but that doesn't work out entirely because um, there is kind of a crazy mad professor living in the forest and um, he catches sight of them one day and becomes obsessed with uh, possessing baby Winky. I don't want to derail this conversation, but now that you said it, <clears throat> I can't help but wonder. I mean, unless a teddy bear is, is you know, dressed in a feminine way, like I always think of teddy bears as boys. And I, I wonder if that's how most people think. I would... Uh, like your plain old fashioned teddy bear, you know what I'm talking <laughs> yeah. about. Like when you say teddy bear, you just picture a naked teddy bear. Like I, I, I guess I always think of them as boys. Uh, so and then I think, um, my thought is it's whatever. Not so. 
everybody probably has that instinct, but it's probably not always boy. Mm-hmm. Like there's probably people out there who see all teddy bears as girls. That seems so weird to me. Yeah. Of all the weird things we're talking about, that's the that's one that's strict. Yeah. <laughs> I actually looked up and I have a red teddy bear that's made from yarn that was a a holiday um gift here for the podcast. And uh, uh I looked up and I thought, no, clearly that's a boy teddy bear. I have no reason to believe that's... that. But that's <laughs> I I don't know why anybody would doubt that. No, I'm not saying a kid can't, you know, name a teddy bear and whatever, but I just I would think like out of the box I feel wonder if there's a way to do accurate polling on this that's i mean it's starting to sound pretty fundamentalist yeah maybe maybe <laughs> a little I'm, I'm anyway <laughs> so I, I don't we don't want to give away too much of the plot but i mean we know he's found a cabin in the woods i mean i believe it's right in the synopsis and stuff but um the the rest of the book really has to do um w- with the trial of winky who has been put on trial i think it's like something like 400 counts and there's there's a solid page so i read this on kindle there is one solid page of nothing but the charges and the charges start like pretty normal like he's found with a bunch of bomb making stuff at this cabin right so terrorism making bombs murder you know those kind of things but then it gets like just really weird like like the um the charges that are thrown at him are not, and, and I guess this is probably alluded to a little bit in the synopsis, right? Because it says calling upon witnesses from the trials of Galileo, Socrates, John Scopes, and Oscar Wilde. So you may get the idea that uh, some of the charges leveled against him uh, not only aren't um, accurate, because, you know, he's a teddy bear, but that they are also not very realistic, which which provides for some humor. But even that gets a little bit tiresome. Um, in the trial portion, would you, would you agree? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of the, that's, it's, that's the weird part of it because that part of the book lacks any subtlety. Like it's just very on the nose and, and over the top, um, uh, like very unsubtle messaging, um, in contrast with the, you know, the very weird emotional underpinnings of, of everything that's gone on with this bear. But yeah, I'll agree with you. Yeah. So, um, I guess we didn't mention really a whole lot of other characters. We did talk a little bit about cliff and Ruth, um, and baby winky. Um, France was is how the internet is telling me how to pr- <laughs> pronounce this. She's the other realistic person, by the way. And I apologize for, for forgetting her. Cause she's probably my second favorite character in the book. She is the woman who finally figures out the mystery of how to treat gunshot wounds on a teddy bear, which is she sews him up, <laughs> you know, and becomes a friend and a co-conspirator because after she's found, you know, um, um, conspiring with Winky, um, she is also arrested. Um, and then there's uh, his his lawyer, which, again, way over the top caricature. I mean, the, his actual last name is Unwin, Charles Unwin, and he has never won a trial. Um, but he is the uh, pro bono attorney that's assigned to Winky's case. Um, completely inept and, and hard to read. Like, like, And I guess I have to give Clifford Chase props because everybody in the book is super, super annoyed with him anytime he speaks and he managed to get that through in the in the telling of the story, because I was annoyed every time he spoke. And it reminded me a little bit of um, uh, what we do in the shadows 
with the the energy vampire. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's like who I was picturing because I was getting that same feeling that all the all the characters in that show do. Like when he starts talking, you just start like tuning out and and zoning out. Um. But yeah, so and uh, the the book ends essentially, you know, with a trial. Yeah. So um, it, it sounds really weird, um, but the way the story continues is um, using flashbacks to Winky growing up um, with with the, the Ruth's family and uh, the current modern day trial. Um, you know, it's just a matter of like, is he going to be convicted of these? Like, I think it was like like nine thousand something different charges. Um or will somehow he slip the noose? Um, and it's it's more of it's definitely more of like a the life of this teddy bear and the meaning of the things in it than it is like a start middle end kind of situation. Like it's it's got all the setup of a like a you know a common story, but really what it is, it's like it's telling the story of this bear and what it's been through. Yeah, and examining loneliness and loss and belonging and sense of self and a variety of other things that, um, you know, depending on, you know, what your life has been like or where you're at in your life, you may have recognized, you know, some of those feelings, um, you know, so it's 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 a completely farcical book that's really about belonging, I think, or at least that's how I'm choosing to interpret it. <laughs> Yeah, I see a lot of, um, like, a, a big theme that I saw in there uh, was not being understood. Like, um, in a comical way from, like, the, the law enforcement and court and hospital perspective, like, them not, like, being willing to admit that this is a teddy bear uh, or them basically putting the label on the teddy bear that made them comfortable or happy as opposed to seeing the teddy bear for what it really was. So there was a lot of that type of stuff going on, but then also just like, yeah, like, uh, um, fitting in or being accepted for what you are. Um, there was just like, there was like layers of, um, for me, it always felt like the bear's experience was everybody made the bear what they wanted or needed it to be as opposed to what it actually was. Um, and, and so that was a big theme. Let's talk about the funny for a little bit. Um, we've mentioned how ridiculous the, uh, the book is. There is a, a great couple of pages where they are transferring winky. I believe it's from the hospital to the jail and <laughs> yeah. they're like five minutes apart. But the FBI drives them around for like three and a half hours, like breaking suddenly, like shoving like his butt out the door so he can use the washroom, then like pulling him back in, then shutting the door and like racing off again. So um, the funny in a lot of cases is done very well. And and at some points, you know, I said through the trial, it it maybe gets a little a little ridiculous for my taste. Um. But then there's this other part, and I mean, we've touched on it, but I, I don't, I still don't know if we've conveyed just how dark and lonely and sad this book is in parts. And and I think that the mix of the two maybe is what made this a standout book for me. Um, 
the the fact that it's absurdly funny in parts and then so sad at times that that you find yourself really aligned with a goddamn teddy bear. And let me just say, and and you may have thoughts on this too. This is one ugly teddy bear. I genuinely believe that this teddy bear exists in his life. I think the photos, because there are photos in the book. Yeah, that's his actual actually, teddy bear. Is his actual and, and yep. probably is a 1920s teddy bear from his mother. Teddy bears not fucking cute from the 1920s. <laughs> there, yeah, they definitely had some some work to do. But I'll agree. I I think that there are like many really well done humorous moments in the book um and it's it is it is very entertaining and and sometimes it's like lighthearted and cute other times it's just borderline slapsticky in like just the like over you know over the top nature of it but very funny um depictions of people um or people being absurd um but yeah there was so i told livius this earlier um when we were talking earlier today that uh, once I got about halfway through the book, I was, I was trying to explain to my girlfriend um, kind of what the book was about. And I got to a part toward the end of this, the first part. So about halfway through the book and I was kind of talking about a feeling that Winky had about something. And it like, I got choked up because it was so goddamn heartbreaking. Um, So the author definitely does a really effective job of like Livia said, putting you on the side of Winky, but also like feeling the pain that a teddy bear went through, which sounds absurd in itself. But like, um, I think what makes this book work really well is it's not just that pain and darkness. It has that very obviously necessary contrast of the over the top, really humorous, well done, funny stuff. Yeah, there's something that, and, and I mentioned it before in like looking at others, but there's also, obviously, as a storytelling device, I, I, and not that they're comparable in any way. Are you familiar with the book Room by Emma Donahue? I know of it. Uh, okay. And I know you read it and really enjoyed it. I had not yep. had a chance to read it. It's, um, th- that book is just dark and different. I mean, although it has its cute and heartwarming moments, it's about a woman who's been abducted. And, and births a child in captivity and lives essentially, if I remember correctly, in like a, a converted garage is, is her prison. Um, and it's basically her and the kid and then the, 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 the kidnapper rapist, you know, but like being able to look at things through the eyes of a small child in the case of room, a teddy bear in Winky um, is definitely a storytelling device that that it just brings a different just brings a different perspective and like I said, I know it sounds stupid because we are always seeing it through a perspective. Sometimes it's the authors. Sometimes it's, you know, the narrator, you know, character or whatever, first person um, type thing. But whenever you give it to someone that doesn't have the same faculties as an adult, like a, like a functioning, normal adult human being, it, it, it adds a layer in there that, that makes can, I guess, in the right hands, make the storytelling more interesting. Yep, I'll, I'll agree with that. Uh, anything else, or should we wrap wrap this up? No, I think that's uh, I think that's about it for talking about the story. You want to go first on the wrap up? Yeah. Uh, so uh, this is a reread. I'd only read it one other time. Um, it, it's funny how the book stuck with me, though. So Livius had read it, and he recommended it, so I read it, and it, it's just a book that has come up 
throughout the years occasionally. Like, I've completely forgotten it's a book, but then it's kind of resurfaced in my mind, and then it's gone away a little bit. It's just like the teddy bear, kind of, in a way. Like, it's it's not something that I'm always present with, but, like, I have fond memories of reading it, so that's kind Very of nice. Yeah. Very nice. Um, <laughs> it occurred to me as I was saying that. Um, but it's something that just keeps coming back, and I think that there's there's something to that. And so um, back in 2018, I went to Austin, Texas, with uh, former marketing intern Ryan. Uh, and while we were down there, I went to this awesome place called Book People. And they just had a ton of books that were, you know, they just had a ton of books. I bought two bags worth of books. I bought so many books. But one thing they had was a stack of Winkies that were like on sale for like four or five dollars each. And I was like, I'm buying two of these. I'm giving one to Livius. And at some point, this will just be a book we can read for the podcast if we're, you know, uh, not sure what we want to read next. And so this book just keeps occurring in my life like this at, at random intervals. But it's something that when I see it, um, I want it. And um, I remember what that I liked it. Rereading this after all these years, because it's probably been 10 years or whatever, um, or more, actually probably 12 years or so. Uh, I didn't remember how dark it was, and I think it's because I remember it fondly. But there is a lot of sadness and um, darkness. It really makes you, it gives you the opportunity to think more deeply about um, how what this bear goes through can be similar to things that other people go through in life. Um, so it is a way to help you process through things. I think if, if you have things to process through, and I think Livia said something similar earlier, um, but it does have that levity and it has that kind of joy and funniness and, um, the kind of simple perspective that sometimes you would have if you're, you're seeing the world, but no one's explaining the world to you. So there's, there's definitely that part that goes in throughout the book. Um, and overall, uh, it, it tears you up a little bit, but it also like it sews you up with the needle. Eventually, Francois comes along. Francoise, excuse me, comes along and 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 figures out what's going on and sews you up. And I think overall, it's just a story that it's it's not a like a fun romp. It definitely is challenging and it's it's emotional, but it is a very satisfying story um, overall. And so, I didn't really mark things too low. Uh, characters I marked lower than other stuff, primarily because of the like obtuse char- like uh, caricature nature of some of the characters. Um, plot was uh, something I marked lower, probably mostly because it's not as plot driven of a story as it is like a this is you know the life and memories of of a teddy bear. So overall, um, of the eight categories that we use out of ten, I, I gave this eight stars. Yeah, how do you tell a story about a sentient teddy bear, right? So, I mean, I guess if you're going to do it and you're going to make it something that um, an adult can enjoy, uh, you probably have to make it a little dark and sad. And then to mix it up a little bit, you have to make it a little silly and and even ridiculous at, at points. Um, but yeah, I mean, everything Rob said is spot on. I think that uh, it's a good reminder of how we interact with others. Um, and again, showing that through the lens of, of somebody who doesn't know how to do that, but how 
he or she maybe would like to do that um, is, is, a, is a pretty solid way, I, I think, um, to do that. Um, so, yeah, we have a mix of, of sad and, and a mix of, um, you know, ridiculous and, and funny and overall, uh, you know, a compelling tale that much like Rob, you know, it, it's not a, a ton of time that goes by that Winky doesn't pop up in, in my mind as, as a book. Um, I, it was also darker than I remembered it, although I remember being surprised because I really picked this book up. If You know, I, I'm sure I picked it up at the library, probably read part of the synopsis and said, oh, hey, this should be fun. It's a bear accused of terrorism, you know, and thought it would be some silly comedy book that I could enjoy. And, and I remember being surprised that at the, the gravity uh, of the story at the time. But yeah, as you know, whatever, 15 years or something, you know, 14 years goes on, you, you kind of selective memory, you know, maybe erases uh, some of that. Um, ah, this, this one was tough. And, 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 you know, we changed uh, a year and three months ago, we changed our rating system. And under the old rating system, I'm pretty sure that Winky would have gotten a five because it would have been on gut impulse. When I broke down the categories, um, the lowest score I gave it was in pace, which was a seven and, and language, which was a seven, just because there was there was nothing spectacular there. I don't think the writing is, is you know, brilliant or, or, or anything like that. It's not a, a very quotable book, you know, except for maybe some of the funnier parts. There's some some jokes in there. They're pretty good. There's a interrogation with Francoise and and uh, I believe it's the, the sheriff um, yeah. <laughs> who's, who's out to get Winky. That's just brilliant, you know, but I mean, there's it, the, the writing isn't stunning. You know, it's no, nobody is going to be uh, quote. Well, no one's quoting from this book now. And it's only 14 years old. I was going to say in 50 years, you know, no one's going to be quoting from this book. Um, but overall, this is a book that for me is greater than the sum of its parts. So although my score was an 8.13, like on a personal level, I, I mean, my personal score for it was a nine. I don't think it's a perfect book. I think that it gets a little outrageous in parts. But I mean, this for me is like a nine plus book. Um, but when I break it down by the numbers, that's not what they add up to. And that adds up to an 8.13, which gives the overall uh, score for the podcast 8.06. Um, I think this is a I think this is a book with really kind of wide appeal. I, I think that a broad range of people could read and um, enjoy and maybe learn something from Clifford Chase's Winky. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, it, it would be a weird pitch, but definitely like the people who who read it, um, you can't help but um, experience emotions. And and it's definitely like I said earlier, one of those books that like you can see struggles that parallel struggles you had. Um, I had a thought while we were talking about this because we've been doing a lot of, this book came out in kind of, of discussion lately. And I don't know if it's me specifically or if something happened, but it, I feel like a lot of the books that like I've really identified with or have stuck with me came out 2006 2007 2008 like in that little timeline because rush architects uh this book apathy and other small victories i feel like we could rattle off 10 titles easily that are real bangers that came out in that kind of like small chunk of years and um i'm wondering if there's something to that but then i also had the thought right after that was like the financial crisis of like 2008 so how many like promising writing careers got tanked because all of a sudden it wasn't good to take risks on different authors? 
Well, it's interesting you say that because at least two of those authors that you listed um, didn't didn't really do much, right. at least in the fiction <laughs> writing game. Yeah, past past that. Oh, yeah, that's a uh, yeah, it's yeah, kind of a depressing thought. I guess I, I don't know. I, I guess by and large, I don't think about like the financial aspect of book creation. You know, I like you're like the financial crisis. I'm like, I have no idea where he's going with this, but yeah, that's yeah. that's certainly a possibility. Well, as a publisher, you would probably pivot from being like, "Oh, let's do Raw Shark Text Two to being like, "Let's just put out another James Patterson book." Yeah, that's so. uh, that's quite possible. Listen, there are people that don't like this book. There are a number of one star reviews on Amazon. Quite honestly, none of them even like entertaining enough to read. Hmm. But I, yeah, I mean, all right, here's one. Uh, and let's, uh, this is from Thomas Allen. I just couldn't take any more. Okay, I bought this book based on several reviews. I was even intrigued by the premise. However, after reading 20 pages, I had 20 pages, I had to fight the urge to throw the book across the room. To be blunt, even though this is a work of fiction, my imagination found it to be downright intolerable and ridiculous. I think about the 20 page um, mark what they're they're like he's in the hospital and they're doing yeah. one of the funniest scenes which is every time he doesn't have a pulse they're like getting out the paddles and trying to resuscitate <laughs> that's yeah he's in the yeah so chapter two ends at page 22 or the the chapter that chapter ends at page 22 and it is him in the hospital so it's all the doctor stuff it's the x-rays it's francois sewing him up and getting in trouble for it so yeah, it's very that's, that's really funny stuff yeah, it's yeah. funny yeah. So I don't know. I mean, obviously these people had other different expectations, but again, if you have a book about a sentient teddy bear, like I said, there's only two ways I think this can go like funny or horror. Like those are my thoughts. And obviously it's not horror. So it's probably going to be funny. And at page 20, it's delivering on that promise of being absurdly funny. Yep. Also 20 pages into a book, unless the book is like really poorly written or edited, you can't, you can't make a decision that soon, and I don't think. Uh, uh, well, it, if you're forearmed with a synopsis, you, you know what I mean. Like, if, eh. if I just opened a book and, and found out that all of it takes place, oh, if I just opened a book and found out all of it takes place on an unpronounceable planet with a bunch of creatures that that I can't oh, right, even picture fair. in my head, you know, then I go, yeah, you know what? Maybe this isn't for me, and I close it up after twenty pages. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. But if I had a synopsis that said this takes place on an unpronounceable world with all these creatures, I'd probably be like, yeah, maybe I'll just skip this one. This doesn't sound like my kind of thing. Good point. Uh, Well, something I'd like to say Mm -hmm. is that for a while now, we've been reading old ass books. (laughs) We have. And and I'm okay. I'm going to tell you what we're reading next. And then I'm going to tell you that we probably didn't need to read all these old ass books because we had a book at our fingertips five weeks ago that we could have read. So truly <laughs> like lightning is our next review. Now, much like us, you might say, well, what the hell is that? That is the fourth novel from author David Duchovny. Um, You may know him as an author or a musician or a stage uh, actor. Um, you might know him from the X-Files or Californication or uh, what was the... The man he did the Manson one, right? I didn't see that. Oh, one. he that? did. Um, yeah. Um, Aquarius. Aquarius. That's Aquarius. exactly what it was. Um, you might know him from Twin Peaks. 
Um, you might know him from hearing him here on this podcast. Anyway, Rob sends me a message the other day. He's like, this came out in February. And I'm like, how the <laughs> fuck? First of all, I'd like to know why his publisher didn't just automatically send us copies. Right. Um, but yeah. Like we've, we've enjoyed David Duchovny stuff and, and let's face it. He doesn't get a lot of attention as an author for somebody with that big of a name. You would think there'd be more than 79 reviews after five weeks uh, um, of being out. But, uh, yeah, that's what we're doing next week. Truly like lightning. Um, it already appears to continue in the trend of David Duchovny books where it's nothing like his previous three. Um, so I'm I'm excited to to get into this and see what this one's all about. All right. I feel like it's important for me to tell the story of how I discovered this book, too, um, because it wasn't through any traditional like Livius goes through and looks at like you know, top Amazon lists of newly released books and stuff like that. And um, so it wasn't due diligence of any kind. I was at Barnes and Noble yesterday and I took a picture of one of the tables at the front of the store that had Stephen Graham Jones, the only good Indians on it. Um, A, because it was there, like the placement, but also B, because it was surrounded by just like the weirdest, like, there was no theme other than like the buy one, get one 50% off sticker. So I thought it was funny. I took a picture and then I was just like, oh, I wonder what is on the shelf behind it. And I was like, I zoomed in on my own photo like this was later because I wasn't in the bookstore. I would have just looked at the shelves. Um, I'm telling the story very poorly. Later on, I'm looking at the picture and I'm like, oh, yeah, I didn't even look at those shelves. I wonder what's on them. And I'm just scrolling through and I'm like, there's this really blurry thing. And I'm like, does that say David Duchovny? And I looked it up, and that's how I found out he had a new book come out in February. And I am thankful that this fell into our lap in such a weird way, because quite honestly, six months from now, we'd have been like, hey, do you know the company had a book out in February? And we'd have been really off the mark. But anyway, this ends our streak of um, flashback books, throwback books, um, and we will be reading relatively new fiction this week. And I am very excited. Although, don't get me wrong, I've enjoyed the last few weeks. It is nice to read something I haven't read before, too. Uh, yeah, and I'm looking forward to more Duchovny because um, uh, I, I really enjoyed Miss Subways for the review. And then I really enjoyed cramming two other audiobooks of his stuff on a trip back from Texas to uh, prepare for interviewing him. But um, yeah, looking forward to this one. I will say that there is other new releases that we already have planned. And one of them I'm going to talk about just specifically because um, it's another flex that's coming out uh, April 6th, and that's Maxwell's Demon by uh, Stephen Hall. We've already flexed that we have copies and have read them, Um, but we have more copies. Like we got finished copies sent to us from the publisher, so that was really cool. So um, I will be doing... um, We talked about my reels before. I have a reels planned. Uh... For my Stephen Hall books, my shark shelf, I call it, with all my different copies of Raw Shark Text, and I'll probably squeeze these Maxwell Demons in there somewhere too. Yeah, it's um, it's it's cool, and and thank you to the publisher for sending them out to us. I mean, we had the option to say, um, well, Rob already got an arc from somebody, and Livius already bought an arc from somewhere and read the ebook, and you know, but we were like, no, no, that's okay, we'll take first edition American Stephen Halls, and if. But by chance you're listening and you're in the UK and you want to send a couple of UK first editions our way, just uh, hit Rob up on social media. He'll give you an address to send them to. Yeah, maybe even some shipping money. There you go. 
um, yeah, so we've got, uh, we've got that. And then, uh, um, yeah, we've got Josh Chaplinski. Am I saying his name right? Chaplinski's I believe new book. so. Yeah. Paradox. Um, will be, will be coming up in the next few weeks. So yeah, our next three book reviews will be new release fiction. So if you've held out this long, hoping to hear about something that didn't uh, take place in the early two thousands, uh, this is it. This is for you guys. <laughs> Um, one final thing, and then we're going to wrap this up. Um, and this is something that I didn't plan. I didn't tell Livius about, but um, recently in in driving around, um, I've hit a lull in the podcasts that I, I usually listen to. They're just not releasing episodes very regularly. So I decided I'm going to go back and I'm going to check out some of the interviews we did in 2020 because we had some bangers. And so I re-listened to the two Josh Mallerman interviews we did in 2020. Amazing conversations. I re-listened to, I'm about halfway through the Grady Hendrix interview that we did uh, back in early 2020. Such an entertaining conversation. So um, uh, that's my plug. If you uh, get kind of hung up and you're not getting new episodes from your podcasts, interviews are a great, great way to go back in time and hear someone who doesn't usually podcast talk for a while. Because like hearing us talk over and over again about a book or whatever, I get it. Like... You know, that couldn't be that super exciting. But going back and, and and catching up on an author talking about, like, their creative process or telling a funny story from their past, I feel like that doesn't have – it has a bigger shelf life, and it just stays more entertaining longer. So that's my little plug. Go back and check out some of our old interviews. All right. I didn't have anything else to add, but you were talking about being low on podcasts to listen to. I, uh, I've taken up uh, – watching historical videos about like hair bands oh boy so um let's see today and, and most of this was listening because i just downloaded them off youtube listened in my car but um i listened to like the story of vixen do you know the band vixen not even a little bit i listened to um there's a there's a channel called metal school relatively small channel you know i don't know like fifteen thousand subscribers or something on the band kicks. And then there's a guy named professor of rock who has a much bigger following. And he does like, he'll like zoom down like one classic song or one album, you know, and, and talk about it. But I listened to the insane story of the number one rock song of 1987. Any guesses as to what that might be? I, I would just embarrass myself. Yeah. It's, um, it's, uh, um, Oh God damn it. Um, it's from White Snake. It's the the Tawny Katane dancing on the Jaguars. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, I keep wanting to say, "Is this love?" But it's not. Is this love? It's uh, well, here I go again. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? For twenty one minutes, I was locked in to learning about the making of this song. So yeah, you went and did something productive, and you know, tried to expand your mind with literary genius. And I'm listening to you know guys that are my age talk about hair bands. You know, to each their own. Sometimes you need that, though. Like you, yeah. you need the purge. You need the, the, you know, the empty calories, the, 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 the candy. Yep. So yep. There you go. So, any rate, <laughs> um, but Rob is right. There are a number of good reviews. There are also hundreds of episodes you can go back and listen to um, while you wait patiently for us to read David Duchovny's new book, which we'll be covering here next week on Booked. All right, that's wrapping it up for this episode. Join us next week to where we talk about our best friend, David Duchovny. Until then, I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Olivia Snudden. Keep reading.